0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Source Material Comics Podcast. Uh, my name is Jesse Starcher. I am joined tonight by Al Sedano of Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. How you doing, Al? You ready to talk some uh, Courtney Whitmore and Jeff Johns tonight?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, and thank you, by the way, for having me on.
0: I know you said you were picking this up and reading it as it was coming out, right?
1: Yes, I bought it as off the off the rack, so to speak. If my memory is right, 99 is when I was working at the comic store. Okay. So I pretty much got 90% of what was coming out. Gotcha. So no, I... it was just like, yep, yeah, okay, I'll get it too. Plus, over time, as you know, you start reading like when you're younger, and you start reading, you look for like the coolest thing first. Like at the time, it's like oh, Wolverine stuff or Ghost Rider stuff, you know, because I started like very late 80s, early you know, early 90s. And then as you go through, you kind of pick up like what kind of things you really do like, as opposed to it could still be some of those, but it's not just what's the cool flashy thing, but what are you interested in? Mm-hmm. And I always like I like the idea of the legacy, which is one thing I liked about DC at this point, and I like the more minor characters, like because they could do more things with them you know Superman and Batman I mean up until recently where they actually do some stuff with them but for the most part it stayed the same you know and it took a long time I mean how long did it take for Lois and Clark to date and get married right Right. it took forever it's like but with the minor characters they could do stuff with them it was more you know you wouldn't get as long a series because they're not going to last 80 years but you can get real development and things happening and change and, and you know beginning middle and end of a story
0: yeah you didn't have that sacred cow syndrome I think is I guess how I would probably phrase it where you didn't, you didn't want to mess too much with Batman and
1: Superman. Um, Exactly. And when they did that with Spider-Man, look what happened. (laughs) (laughs) I (laughs) mean, that wasn't just because they changed. Obviously that was all, you know, editorial, not marketing telling them, keep this going, keep it going, keep it going, you know, right. But still people did get upset about, you know, no, Peter, it's not Peter Parker. He doesn't count. We're getting rid of him. Yeah. But you know, these characters, I'm not saying they have to just kill them all, all the off and make them all, you know, cool with big guns, but, they could do things with them. They could
0: advance Mm -hmm. them. Right. Now, we're jumping in, in into this in, in volume two. So this covers issues number zero and then nine through 14. Uh, anybody has a chance, you can go back into the archives and check out Chris Sheehan and Mark Radlich talking about uh, the first volume of Stars and Stripe. And uh, they also covered issue zero in that discussion. And I'll, I'll kind of, you know, I'll just briefly touch on that uh, to kind of pick up where things are going to go from here with issues nine and 14 as well. Uh, issue zero is a good starting point for this second and volume but and it's where it takes place anyway. Right, exactly. And uh you know this is this is a Jeff Johns joint. I mean are you a, are you a fan of Jeff Johns? I mean you were picking this up at the beginning of things. Were you surprised at some of the writing you were getting or were you taking notice of hey this Jeff Johns guy uh this is a name I'm gonna pay attention to what what were your
1: thoughts back then? Well first of all real quick because I had it up recently on my phone so if anyone's interested uh the episode with if she was the first episode of this was mm-hmm. from September 28th 2020 so they know where they're looking but um, it's one of the first times, and I know he was. I think at this point he was co-writing or being part of the writing on team on JSA, so mm-hmm. I was definitely noticing him there. And like I said, I like those minor and those older characters, and they do legacy of them, and especially at this point, he was more into doing that. Right. So I definitely like that. Uh, some of the stuff he's done since then has brought him a little bit down, but still overall, I still generally enjoy Jeff Johns. But sometimes he does have some writing quirks that have come out since that seem to happen a lot with him. Yeah. That, or. Like or where he has to kind of certain things he'll bring back and update them and then certain things he's like, Nope, must be the way I read it in nineteen seventy nine. <laughs> Must be.
0: I think I first started noticing Jeff Johns when it came to Blackest Night. And I picked up Blackest Night from the library, and I didn't know what I was going to get. I just knew I was enjoying some of his stuff on Green Lantern. At number one, I was impressed. And number two, I was scared. It was
1: a scary book. <laughs> yeah. Um, Blackest Night was, was good. I I I got. I think I'm missing one miniseries from that. Otherwise, I picked up everything as it came out.
0: Oh, no kidding. Wow, yeah, that thing was definitely hitting a, a, a lot of the corners of the DC universe, obviously. And I
1: got all the rings. I
0: still have all the plastic rings that you're picking up the shop. Nice. I have all of the rings. Very nice. Very nice. I was never a big Green Lantern guy. When a writer can come and take a character and make it interesting to me, that that makes me take notice. Now, I think some of this was touched on in the first episode that we were talking about there, that aired back in September. Uh, one of the things that I thought was neat about Jeff Johns getting his start was the fact that he was a uh, an assistant to Richard Donner. He at, was on the set of Conspiracy Theory that Mel Gibson. I think it was Mel Gibson, Julia Roberts movie. Oh,
1: yeah, I remember that one. He's like the crazed conspiracy nut. Like he's not. Yeah. yeah, Every time he was at a
0: bookstore, he had to buy The Catcher in the Rye. And that was like some kind of government suggestion that that he was given. So he's on the set of Conspiracy Theory. He ends up meeting up with some D.C. officials and he pitches this book. So I think Conspiracy Theory was like 90s. Oh, my goodness. I want to say it was 96, 97. I can't remember. But anyway, Stars of Stripe comes out in 1999. Of course, we get the debut of Courtney Whitmore. 97 was the 97 was Conspiracy Theory. Okay, yeah, I knew it was right around then. So Jeff Johns throws this out there and they're like, "Okay, we'll take a chance. on it." So here we go. We got stars and stripes. So what I want to do real quick before we get into things real quick, anybody who's never listened to uh, any of these episodes before, specifically the first one, that's fine. I'm going to give you a breakdown of the characters. We're at least going to be getting in these issues that we're going to be talking about. So so Pat Dugan, uh, we got his first appearance was in Star Spangled Comics. Number one, October of 1941, created by Jerry Siegel and Hal Sherman. Uh, Most of this I got from DC Fandom Wiki, I believe is what it was. A brilliant mechanic, sidekick hero known as Stripesy in the 40s, Pat helped out the Star Spangled Kid of that era, a young man named Sylvester Pemberton, and through some time travel shenanigans, Pat has found himself in the future. So that's Pat Dugan. Barbara Dugan, first appearance stars in Stripe, number zero uh, July of 1999, created by Jeff Johns and Lee Motor. A school teacher and single mother to her daughter, Courtney, Barbara found love again with Pat Dugan and the two married, moving from L.A. out to Blue Valley, Nebraska. Then we have Courtney Whitmore, created by Jeff Johns and Lee Motor. First appearance, DCU Heroes Secret Files and Origins, number one, February of 99. A young teenage girl who stumbled upon a device called the Cosmic Converter Belt that gives her extraordinary powers. Courtney has become this era's star-spangled kid, much to the chagrin of her stepfather Pat, who then becomes the pilot of a massive robot named Stripe in order to keep an eye on his stepdaughter. Courtney's mom, Barbara, is unaware that this has been happening. Then we have Mike Dugan. Okay. He's just, he's pretty recent here uh, in the, in the series. His first appearance was actually infinity Inc. Number 11, February of 1985, created by Roy Thomas and Don Newton, Pat's son from another marriage. Younger than Courtney, Mike has been expelled from military school and has shown up at his dad's doorstep to live with him. Mike also knows his dad's history and the fact that he was the superhero Stripesy and aims to become a superhero himself. And real quick, I wanted to touch on this because this is this is actually going to be a central focus point of, I think, our Zero issue, I believe. It's either the Zero issue or the number nine. Maybe, no, it's number nine, I think. But anyway, uh, the Seven Soldiers of Victory, created by Mort Weisinger and Mort Meskin, first appearing in 1941, and that's according to the wiki, a lesser-known team that Pat belonged to as Stripesy in the 40s. Now, the members include, and I'm not going to give you the power sets or anything like that. We're just going to run them down. Crimson Avenger, Star Spangled Kid, Stripesy, Vigilante, Stuff the Chinatown Kid, Shining Knight, Sir Justin, by the way, TNT, Dynamite, the Spider, Wing as the unofficial Eighth Soldier, and the Squire. That's a rundown of the uh, members of the Seven Soldiers of Victory villains. Ready? Mm-hmm. Dragon King, created by Roy Thomas and Rich Buckler, first appearance All-Star Squadron number 4 December of 1981. The villain of this piece who is currently plotting some evil deeds and looks to rid himself of the pesky Star-Spangled Kid and Stripe who have been thwarting his plans for world domination. Dragon King has been around since World War II and with the help of Dr. Graft and his fringe science, Dragon King has been able to live longer than expected. Put a note here just because I kind of wanted to, to describe uh, what what he look like. If you are familiar with the G.I. Joe cartoon, and you mm-hmm. know Cobra Commander, <laughs> the hooded Cobra Commander, take the hooded Cobra Commander, do a green palette swap with him, turn his costume green and then put a big serpent, a uh, long yellow dragon right on top of the front of the hood. There you go. That is that is Dragon King. Now, Dr. Graft, uh, he is the evil scientist who has been conducting horrible experiments at the command of the Dragon King, even experimenting on the Dragon King's own daughter. And then we have Shiv. Shiv was was created by Jeff Johns and Lee Motor first appeared in Stars and Stripe number one August of 99. Uh, Shiv is Cindy Berman the daughter of the evil Dragon King who has been grafted with cybernetics in order to make herself more deadly. Shiv helps her father in whatever he- evil plot he has schemed and wants nothing more than to kill Courtney Whitmore. So there you go we ran him down there Al. Anything unsaid before we hop into the synopsis of the f- issue zero?
1: No no you kind of pretty much covered the only thing is maybe is that the fun part about the Seven Soldiers of Victory is that- that They always seem to have like eight or nine members, which is always funny for a group team to <laughs> have. because some of the characters are kind of retcons because originally Green Arrow and Speedy were members of it. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. I didn't know that. But obviously that was the Earth 2 ones. And now they don't that doesn't those characters don't exist. Oh, obviously. Right. Mm-hmm. So they had to put in like the Crimson. They, the wing and stuff are kind of more or less. I mean, they did kind of participate back then. But now it's easier to put just to have them be the full members.
0: That synopsis is coming up, but first let me talk about Amazon Music. If you're looking for a good platform that can fill those musical needs, Amazon Music has you covered. If you head to getamazonmusic.com/w2mnetwork, you can get a free 30-day trial where you can check out over 70 million songs. That's getamazonmusic.com/w the number two. M Network for that free 30-day trial. Issue number zero, the title, the title of the story is A Chilly Day in Opal. Uh, This was written by Jeff Johns and James Robinson, penciled by Lee Motor and Chris Weston. If I remember correctly, there is a swap in the art for sure. Chris Um, Weston
1: does the flashback stuff.
0: Issue zero, like I said, just wanted to touch on this briefly as it was covered in the first podcast that Mark and Sheehan did back in September of 2020. This story showcases the new Starman, Jack Knight. Uh, Check out Starman volume one, which was covered by Mark and Sheehan back in November of 2020. Um Ooh, good. The new Starman helps out Courtney and Pat stop an evil plan by Icicle uh, and his gang. Just, uh, this is about as basic as a as a villainous plot as you get. I think that all he wants to do is just steal some polar bears from the zoo for his own lair. <laughs> so, yes.
1: <laughs> that's great. And he settles for alligators. <laughs>
0: So the meat of the story is Ted Knight reminiscing on one of his final interactions with Sylvester Pemberton, uh, which is the star-spangled Span- kid from back in the day, who relinquished the cosmic converter belt and took up the cosmic rod for one adventure, it, it seemed like, with the intent of becoming the new Starman, but it didn't sit right with Sylvester. So Sylvester gave the weapon back and instead went on to become Skyman. Now, mm-hmm. this, again, big blank spot for me when it comes to DC history, but of course it did a little bit of research, learned who uh, Sylvester was, and the fact that he becomes Skyman, which he then went on to... Was he the leader of Infinity Inc., or yes. did was he just...
1: Okay, so did you ever read any Infinity Inc.? Except for Infinity Inc., I have not gotten to yet. I've only read okay. an issue or two of it. I know enough about it from reading about other things or, like, things that happened since then, but the other side projects, like All-Star Squadron and uh, right. Young All-Stars, which is kind of related to, since it was all initially all the Earth 2 stuff. Yeah,
0: I think Infinity Inc., I was looking at it, like, the 80s. The one that came out in 84 went for about 50 some issues. It it, it was around for a good while.
1: Yeah, it was Um, all the kids and the sidekicks and the adopted children and the nieces, whatever, of the JSA. So it was kind of like, if you want to say the JSA is the JLA, JLA of their world, this was like the titans of their world, so to speak.
0: Oh, okay. That's a great,
1: great comparison.
0: Okay. well, I mean, issue number zero, like I said, it at least gives you an idea of the history that lay before kind of like the Star Spangled Kid. It's just kind of laying that groundwork for what you're about to get coming up, kind of giving you a little bit of insight into the history of what. came before, so.
1: I really enjoyed seeing Starman in it, because I do like, I love that series, so it was nice to see it, which is why James Robinson co-writes it, because he kind of, he almost, I don't know the exact way it worked, but he almost had, like, a deal kind of like uh, Neil Gaiman has with Sandman, where it's kind of, he either writes it or approves any appearances by that character.
0: Oh, okay, okay. So you don't
1: see Starman show up a lot, because if James Robinson isn't doing it, it doesn't happen. I can understand that, you know, that's, if
0: this is my character, I want it to be done right. Um, Yeah,
1: and also, just real quick, I almost forgot. But yeah, but for Infinity Inc, it's going with the TV show a lot. Some of the characters from the show are from Infinity Inc. Beth Chapel as Doctor Midnight is from Infinity Inc. Uh, Rex, Tyler, no Rick Tyler as Our Man started in Infinity Inc. Jade oh. is from Infinity Inc. Um, okay, I don't know if they brought in any of other characters in season in season two, but those were all members. Oh, Brainwave Junior. He was from a member of Infinity Inc. Oh, okay. So yeah, that's the show I didn't realize I mean, jumping ahead real quick, but I didn't realize until I forgot until reading this, these issues. Yeah, this show took a lot of stuff from both Infinity Inc. and definitely the Stars and Stripes series. Yeah. Plot of the villains is very similar right? to his plot. Not exactly the same, but similar to his plot. Cindy is a big character in the T te- you know, in, in season one of Stargirl. Okay. You know, so there All it's right. a lot of stuff. It's definitely it's definitely shows definitely taking, you know, not just taking the basic concept and going to something else. They're definitely staying as true as possible
0: by by the time that the series obviously is airing, this is 20 some years after you know this comic book series uh, has pretty much yeah. ended. But I just want to say that w- as I was reading it, this is obviously a superhero story. You can see those elements of like family drama and I and I think that probably, really lends itself to being a television product. And that's
1: possibly why uh, Robinson did this with uh, issue zero with Starman, because that's Stars and Stripe and Starman are both very much about the family. Right. And the legacy of the family. It's about, you know, Starman's about him and his father, and his father was the original Starman, and Stars and Stripe is the same thing. It's about her and her family.
0: Well, let's go ahead. We'll get into issue nine here. Issue nine. uh, After Mike's appearance at his father Pat's doorstep, things are trying to stabilize with some breakfast shared between Pat, Mike, and Courtney. Pat tells a story about his days as Stripesy, the sidekick to Sylvester, the Star Spangled Kid, the last meeting of their team, the Seven Soldiers of Victory. When their teammate, the spider, tells them of an evil plan. So this is the flashback. The spider shows up at the ha- uh, the hideout and says, hey, there's an evil plan by, I think the name of the group is the hand. They're creating a co- entity of cosmic energy, and I put that in quotes, so I think I took that directly from the book, called the Nebula Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, the team leap into action with a weapon called the Nebula Rod in order to stop them. Little do they know, the spider has betrayed them, leaving out a crucial part of the schematic. Uh, However, Wing, the Crimson Avenger sidekick, is able to get the part to the team just as their defeat is near. As Wing puts the final piece in the Nebula Rod, he leaps into the now giant Nebula Man and stabs him with it. This causes an incredible explosion, sending the seven soldiers flying and scattered across time. Pat Dugan explains he landed in ancient Egypt and was made a slave until Starman, Hourman, and Batman came to rescue him. When Pat steps through the portal, he is back with his friends, the JSA and the JLA, but it is 40 years later. Pat covers what lay ahead for the team, specifically his friend, Star Spangled Kid, who was offered the cosmic rod from Ted Knight and given a spot on the JSA. Pat talks of meeting Maggie Shaw in Vegas, getting married, and having a son, and that's where we get Michael. Unfortunately, it doesn't work out. They get divorced. Pat talks about how he, after getting divorced, he helped out Sylvester with Infinity Inc. for a little while. At the end of the story, Mike tells his dad he is upset that he was enrolled in the military academy after Pat lost custody of him, and uh, then got remarried. But now that Mike's got himself kicked out of the Military Academy, he want, He lets them know he he and his dog Patton are moving in. So that's pretty much issue nine. We get a couple of epilogues there. Uh, there's dangerous spiritual-like vigilante on Detroit streets killing a drug dealer. I mean, that's like, I think maybe, a, I don't even know if it's a page.
1: Um, half page.
0: Half page. And then epilogue two, is someone is picking up the spider's bow and arrow. I had to go and make sure that that's what it was. But I
1: was going to say, unfortunately, those are things that they don't have time to do any more of in the series. I forget what happens to the spider afterwards because I know the spider did appear a lot in Starman. Okay. So there was a spider in Star... There was a... The Spider Returns in Starman. And I know their new Crimson Avenger does show up in the JSA series.
0: All right. Okay. So... This doesn't do a whole lot other than to kind of set you up with this history that, uh, Pat has uh, with the team and kind of, again, it's for a volume two, which I know, I don't think back in 2000, they're writing for the trade. I don't believe Mm-mm. that's, that's the case. No, uh, but this is perfect. Really? I mean, it kind of gets you set up with the situation at Pat's home, plus the history that's been going on. It's a great way to set it up. But I mean, the one thing that I had for this issue uh, is that again, the family dynamic is there. There's a, a we get a great adventure being told by Pat, but essentially he's just kind of flashing back and he's sitting around the table, it's like I said, trying to settle things down because Mike just showed up on his doorstep. When you really look at what's going on there, this granted, this is 1999, this is you know getting into 2000. Divorces are pretty common uh, amongst family, mm-hmm. unfortunately. This is one of those plot devices where it's really central around this family trying to get along mike has now showed up and he's like hey dad uh, make room here i am i'm here now yeah now this family is just kind of like oh what are we going to do pat's obviously like okay well let me tell a story first then we'll kind of deal with things later but yeah we aren't afraid of touching on uh, a family uh, family issues uh, but it, yeah, hey, the Seven Soldiers of Victory story was pretty cool. It was neat to watch Wing, who was seemed to be like this, you know, this um, this sidekick that really wasn't getting his due, and he felt like, oh man, you know, just t- let me go on the big mission, please. But if it wasn't for him, he wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't have been able to see him
1: save the day. Um, Unfortunately, and I, at the cost of his life, I believe.
0: Yeah, I was going to say,
1: I think he dies. At
0: least they don't they don't say that he survived that explosion. Everybody else got waylaid yeah. into time,
1: but. Yeah, they kind of uh, set that up when the when you find out why the Crimson Avenger told him no. It's not that he wasn't capable. It's like, I, he's what does he say? Uh, wing as a future. He's a smart kid. Taught himself English in two weeks. I want him to do something with his talent, so I need to discourage him from following in my footsteps. My path is self-destruction because I mean, he almost comes off as like a much younger version of uh Kato, oh, uh, from Green Hornet, yeah, like the Bruce Lee Kato, like, 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 you know, he's the one that can kick a lot of ass, but yeah, you know, you know, Crimson Avengers, like, you're smart and can have a life, like, I yeah. need to keep you from doing this kind of stuff because I'm stuck here now doing this, I have this path of self destruction, that's gonna kill me eventually, let's right. get you off of this. But what you're talking about, like, this flashback thing, and like, yeah, because back in the day, obviously, I would really say around 2000, 2001 is when they really started doing like writing for the trade, because that's when like the ultimate, you universe started with marvel with like ultimate spider-man where it was all Mm -hmm. you know like that's when they really started i would say that's about the time things really started doing that but not only that real i realized he's jeff johns is probably trying to follow in the footsteps of james robinson the way he structured starman where like starman was an ongoing series Mm -hmm. but there were a couple like things that would be done in there like there were things issues called times past where whether someone was telling the story or they just did just put you back in that time of like a certain period of time either of somebody else who lived in old City, which is the story, you know, the fictional DC city where Starman takes place, you know, all the Starman live. Something Mm -hmm. happened, like a past Starman or a JSA team up or something like that. And usually at some point it would eventually tie back in to the main series. So now that you read that later on, you're like, oh, yeah. that's who that is. Or, you know, and they also did a thing each year where his brother got killed in the first issue. His brother took over Starman. Within 10 minutes, he was shot. So what they did was they did. They did also they would do a one issue story each year called Talking with David, because that was a, the guy Jack's, you know, Jack died is the one Starman from issue zero. David was his brother. And each year, I forget if they ever explained how or why he would kind of like have a conversation David. He would actually have a conversation with like David's ghost. And like one issue, it was like David and like eight or seven or eight of the. The other Golden Age heroes who were dead. Like, they had dinner together mm. and talk. And again, those things would kind of go back to the main story eventually. And it kind of feels like that maybe that's what Jeff Johns was trying to do, a st- structure his series in a similar way. Because these are characters, but they're not the huge ones, but they still do have history. Right. There's still right. things they can do with other characters and other things. I mean, bring back the spider as a villain. You know, they talk about later on about how the Signing Knight is going to look for who, you know, someone's acting like the, he's heard about the Crimson Avenger being back and he wants to go see who that is. Mm-hmm. And I think those were eventually, if the series had kept going on would have been brought back into the main story in some way, right. You know, would have kept going, but unfortunately because the series ends at 15, a lot of the stuff just gets dropped and either dropped fully or just picked up elsewhere. Yeah. There's a reason why
0: that tale is being told because there may be some stuff that comes up later on down the line, specifically Sir Justin, you know, you already mentioned how he returns at some point. I bet you more of the seven soldier stuff, uh, seven soldier stuff is going to be popping back up. Um,
1: so, Or would have. And I bet the Nebula man probably would have come back at some point. Oh, yes. Yeah, which uh, actually does in the Grant Morrison written Seven Soldiers of Victory mini- series, of mini series that came out several years later. OK. Uh, now, who did the art in this one? I like the art in this one. The, written
0: by Jeff Johns, obviously penciled by Scott Collins, inked by Dan Davis, colored by Tom McGraw, Uh Tom McCraw, Excuse me. The title of issue nine was the final hour for the Seven Soldiers of Victory. Now we're getting to issue 10, which is titled Shortcuts, written by Jeff Johns, Scott Collins, the penciler, uh, Dan Davis, Inker and Tom McCraw the colorist. So, Issue 10 uh, and 11. <laughs> issue 11, same creative team. Issue 11 was titled Nighttime. So I want to do both of these issues, and then we'll kind of stop and All talk right. about them. Uh, issues 10 and 11, while at school, we get to meet some of Courtney's friends and classmates, Mary, Travis, and Josh. There's some typical high school drama between the four that may have been explored more in coming issues, but does not have a large bearing on what we're covering here. Mm-hmm. Courtney gets the brilliant idea to cheat on an IQ. <laughs> this is hilarious. She cheats on an IQ test. <laughs> (laughs) all things which lands her square in the sights of dr graft who sends the dragon king's goons to capture her at school as she would be a perfect specimen for his experiments during the confrontation courtney travis and mary are taken prisoner pat gets an alert that courtney became the star spangled kid and takes stripe to go find her when courtney awakens she finds herself a prisoner in dr graft's lab when he is about to begin his experiments, a very unexpected Sir Justin arrives to save her. The two battle Dr. Graff's mutations as Stripe shows up to help. They find Winged Victory, who... Winged Victory, by the way, is a winged horse that Sir Justin rides on. But yeah, Sir Justin rode upon this like Pegasus uh, horse and it uh, its wings were like nailed to the ground. It was horrible. Uh, yeah. But they find Winged Victory, Sir Justin's horse, uh, and escape. Now, Sir Justin tells his tale of how he ended up in blue. Valley Uh, All the way from the beginning, how he freed Merlin back in the day, got caught in an avalanche, was frozen, woke up in the 40s, joined the Seven Soldiers of Victory, fought with the All-Star Squadron, met his love, Firebrand, battled the Dragon King for the Holy Grail, the Dragon King escapes. Gets tossed into the future uh, where he found the dra- Dragon King was still alive. So he continued his fight. He finds that Dragon King was brainwashing youth with Dr. Graft. Uh, so they, and they, I think they captured Justin and nearly wiped his memory, but he escaped. Um, and he heard yeah. the Dragon K- King talk of plans to take over the U.S. So he felt drawn to Blue Valley for some reason. Justin finds a job as a janitor, I think, at Courtney's high school. Yep. It looks like he's, he's uh, just like him. in the show. Okay. And sees Star Spangled Kid and Stripe in action. And he begins to get his memory back. After the battle, the Dragon King's daughter, Shiv, learns from one of Dr. Graff's assistants that Courtney is the star-spangled kid. She gleefully informs her father and plans to find and kill Courtney. Now, during all this at the high school, Barbara is having a discussion with her overbearing boss, Principal Sherman, who turns out to be a Dragon King robot. Uh, he soon takes Courtney's mom as hostage after being informed that Courtney is the star-spangled kid. Also, after Pat left to go help Courtney, we learn that his son, Mike, has plans to become the Star Spangled Kid, and he's been tearing up Courtney's room looking for the cosmic converter belt. This kid is up to no good. When the team arrives home, Courtney runs upstairs, laying her converter belt on the ground. Just then, Mike grabs a hold of it, and the two begin a tug of war, and the belt snaps in half. (laughs) Just then, the house is besieged by Dragon King's men and the deadly Shiv. So there we go. That is Yeah, buddy. Uh, Issues 10 and 11. So my first note, really, on this was, uh, Mike Dugan is a brat, man. Is he coming across like that in the series too or is he in the series I should say
1: He is. Okay. And he is right. not as much of a brat. He's a little he starts off a bit as a little bit as a goofy brother younger brother. He's already there in the beginning, but he they move from that yeah. very fast. He doesn't stay that way. This was said about in the first episode. And I agree both Courtney and Mike now, since they didn't have Mike in the first, you know, first volume mm-hmm. are a lot more likable in the TV show more quickly than they are here. Okay. Cause I mean, Courtney's okay. decently likable now, but in, like the first few issues, she's much more of a pain in the ass.
0: Okay. All right. Yeah. He, my impression of Mike was like, okay, I assume he's probably, he's going to military school. Oh, what would you say
1: his age is? Like, would you say like early teens? Yeah. He doesn't look too too much younger and she's supposed to be like 15. So it's okay. gotta be like somewhere between 12 to 14. Obviously, his home life
0: was never probably not that great in the first place uh, with his mom when he was living with his mom. And, of course, she sh- he says that in that previous issue where he was upset that, you know, his mom basically shipped him off to military, military school. school. Yeah. He gets kicked out of it on purpose. So right there, I'm like, OK, this dude is this kid's not making good decisions.
1: <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it, now it comes up, I think, it's later, in one of the other issues. There's a he has a reason for wanting that. He said he made a promise or something. I don't think that's ever followed up that. Oh, really? OK. Because, I mean, fortunately, he only has like a couple of appearances after this series ends in like J- in like different JSA series. They're probably just very minor home appearances of Courtney since she's a member of the Justice Society. Mm-hmm. So but I mean, it sounded like he had a reason to be like, he needed to do something. I'm hoping it was not evil. get right. The impression it, that he was looking for evil, he's probably looking to help somebody or do something good. Yeah, yeah I was. But I don't know what the attitude of this character just I was like, oh, my gosh, this kid, snotty brat. He's you got to go back to what molly ringwald said and not another teen movie we all know where this is going Fucking teenagers
0: <laughs> right so yeah uh, mike dugan uh, i'm not a fan at least of the way he's portrayed in, in here and granted he's also wanting to hang out with his dad i'm sure you know at least make his dad proud mm-hmm. um and uh, becoming a superhero, carrying on his dad's legacy, I could understand that. But he just does yeah. not seem like he's going the right way about it, and doing it a teenage way, which is gimme, gimme, gimme. <laughs> right. Reading this issue at this point, I thought we were going to get a lot more of that, like high school Riverdale drama. I don't know why. I don't know if it's just because I'm conditioned with some of the comics that I read nowadays, like we would be paying a lot more attention. Well, they did kind of set it up like we had the whole, um, you know, Josh uh, is leaving secret letters, uh, secret admirer yes. letters in uh, uh, Mary, Mary, Mary leaving. Yeah, leaving letters for her. And I was like, oh, man, we're going to be kind of high school drama every once in a while mixed
1: in with stuff. They're all trying to copy the the one that did it best, Spider-Man. Very true. I mean, that's the, that's the model for that kind of thing. That's right. That's right. But, I mean, unfortunately, though, I think that's all a sac- That's all something that had to be sacrificed on to see if it was cancelled.
0: I imagine Jeff Johns was looking for that balance. The family story that he wanted to tell, and also, I gotta tell a superhero story. And I think a lot of the superhero adventures are the bulk of what we get in this second volume, but there's still that sprinkling of some of the mundane.
1: Yeah, I have a feeling by 12, 13 that's when he knew it was being cancelled, so that's when because we go back to that here and then it's done with pretty much because probably at that point he knew it was being canceled so he's like well i gotta wrap up the stuff that really is going to bother people it's not resolved which is you know all the villain plots and everything
0: yeah i mean the dragon king we don't get a whole lot of him we just know he's the evil the evil guy behind this plot what we're getting in these two issues is probably get more of dr graft than we do actually dragon king throughout this yeah
1: dragon King's still the behind the scenes guy
0: Uh, I thought it was interesting that Barbara and the principal were pretty chill Uh, uh, still sitting there, even even before he becomes like the evil robot. But I think the lockers had exploded by this point and there were tunnels behind the lockers and kids were missing and they were just talking about stuff in the office. (laughs)
1: <laughs> no, he did, he knew why they're missing. He didn't give a damn. He did not. I do love that one part. She says, "You were you were a teenager. I was not," <laughs>
0: and which most likely he was not. No,
1: um, he was never a teenager. He was always the jerk. He was right. He was always the robotic principal. No, these two were fun. They did this whole. I mean, they brought back the shiny Knight. They, you know, like they kind of bringing up at least some of the promise of the previous issue, which is showing us all, all the seven soldiers. So now, you know, we're doing something with that, mm-hmm. which is you know bringing back the shiny Knight. So now you're at least. You're now everyone who's reading this series is familiar with him before you you know, when he shows up that's part of the point of that probably and we got you know at least the, the, the flashback now some of the flashback was written a little confusingly like it's a little hard to tell at point some points which way to read the uh the captions yeah because like he talks about like they got stuck and they got sent back into time Then he says i'm again lost in the future he's like wait are you because the way he talks about it it's almost like he got stuck in the way it reads here it almost looks like when they went they got scattered in time by nebula man he was never brought back like the way he re- it reads here it's almost like he says i was sent to the future by nebula man and now i'm here did they cover him? MB- being rescued, or was it ever that mentioned? Right now, to double check, I thought he was, but maybe I'm wrong.
0: And we'd got, we got—we kind of didn't touch on that. Which all that was actual stuff that happened in the comics, uh, if I remember correctly. This was like yes. Pat was confused when he was brought, well, when he was rescued, he didn't recognize who Batman was. Yeah, because
1: he would have known those characters. He'd been gone since 1948. And by the way, on that page, when they show him coming back, the shiny knight is there. Okay, so
0: he had been at least, if he was scattered somewhere, he'd been brought back at some point.
1: And they even say here, okay, rereading that part real quick, it says Crimson Avenger was in Aztec, Mexico. The China stuff was in ancient Greece and the shiny knight spent some time with Genghis Khan. So it's not even like he was in the future then so he must have been sent to the future again at some point but there's no editor note saying C issue blah 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 the way it's written, it just kind of looks like Nebula Man came. We got scattered through time, and I'm in the future. And did, that's it. And I, I noticed that I put it in my synopsis. Like I, I, I think the way
0: I wrote it was I was like, okay, he he had been frozen and then brought because he fought the Dragon King for the Holy Grail at some point. He mentions that being something that he did. Correct? Like he, and so I assume this was back in like the. This must have been after he got resurrected. Went spent time with Genghis Khan, came back, and then fought the. Dragon King sometime
1: like after that in like the 50s or something 40s or 50s. Yeah. My my guessings I never read those stories if they ever existed or if they're just kind of like recon things. Mm-hmm. My guess is that at some point after he was sent away from the 40s Firebrand from what you hear from Dragon King later Firebrand fought him and I guess died. So Firebrand according to what I'm reading here it says her and the shiny knight married after World War okay. II and she they became the adoptive parents of Terry Rothstein who would be the mother uh, future mother of Neldaa uh, Nucleon from Infinity Inc., later known as Atom Smasher in the JSA. Okay. So that and it then says, um uh, after her husband was displaced in time after a battle between the seven soldiers of victory and Nebula man, firebrand tried to stop a plot by the dragon King. He defeated and killed her. And it says her appearance of death is stars and stripe number 12. So that, as far as I can tell then that story was not shown before. That is a, retcon, you know, added, that is a retcon, I guess you could say, or is it a retcon? If it's something that's about a character, never happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. It's not, they're not changing anything, but you know, they're adding it in there, but yeah, so that's how that worked out. So at least for that, for that part, it was he was sent in the few time by Nebula Man and during that time period who's missing, she was killed. Otherwise, I did enjoy the series, you know, the issues. Yeah, yeah. It was a nice blending of actually bringing in the, the fa- this fa- you know, the, the secret identity stuff and the hero stuff.
0: So issue 12, the story is titled Dragon Food. Looks like it was written by Jeff Johns, penciled by Lee Motor, inked by Dan Davis and Tom McCraw colors. And then issue 13 is titled The Defiant Ones. And it looks like it's the same creative team on that as well. So issues 12 and 13. As Shiv and her minions attack, Stripe and Sir Justin join the battle to help turn the tide. In order to escape, Shiv Shiv leaves her staff behind to explode and cause a distraction destroying pat's kitchen in the process pat digs out the first cosmic converter belt that he was given as a replacement and he tells mike that courtney has earned the right to officially be the star spangled kid mike is not happy about that at all uh finding the tunnels that shiv arrived in pat sir justin and courtney head to confront the dragon king when they arrive they are captured by a force field and they soon see that dragon king has captured barbara as well here we learn that the Dragon King brainwashed the kids of Blue Valley, turning them into his flunkies, including Courtney Courtney's friends, Travis and Mary. Uh, the Dragon King also unleashed a satellite that brainwashes all of the youth to become his slaves and destroy their elders. And now Courtney cannot resist the Dragon King's orders to kill her own stepfather Pat. <gasps> As Courtney, yeah. As Courtney attacks Pat, Barbara looks on, now aware that her daughter and husband are a superhero team. Just remember that. She did not know this.
1: Yep, nope. she found to- out from the Princess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the last issue.
0: Right. And so they have kept it under wraps this whole time. Now, as Courtney rips open Stripe. Uh, she looks to kill Pat, but is able to break the mind control and instead beheads the robot holding her mom hostage. Sir Justin is able to free himself from his force field to face the D- Dragon King. <laughs> w- wing and Victory shows up and Sir Justin mounts while Dragon King hops on the back of a dragon-like creature and they begin to fight. Sir so oh, Justin is able... Is not,
1: not gonna fight. What?
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Um, Sir Justin is able to get Dragon King's dragon to accidentally destroy the satellite dish that was Sending out the mind control, freeing all the children. Shiv battles both Stripe and Courtney, but soon realizes the odds are not in her favor. As Shiv escapes, she worries she failed her father and vows revenge. But a figure appears, called Johnny Sorrow, who tells her he will help her kill Courtney and her friends. After everything calms down, everyone returns to Patton Barber's home to decide what the next step will be. And this this has to, this had to have been the end of an episode of the series. I swear, Sir Justin, you could tell me if I'm right or wrong. Sir Justin says he's <laughs> he's off to the to see if he can find a certain someone who seems to be acting as the Crimson Avenger. Meanwhile, Jay Garrick, the Flash, shows up, this is the JSA Flash, shows up and explains the JSA needs Courtney. A hesitant Barbara gives her blessing, provided Jay understands she is to return without a scratch. Finding some time alone, Barbara talks with Pat about what has been going on, uh, so obviously they have a lot to talk about, and then, yep. then she drops a bomb on him saying she's pregnant. But that's not all, folks. Okay. Not only is she pregnant, there's a knock at the door. Ladies and gentlemen, surprise! Courtney's father, Sam, has arrived. So we have all sorts of craziness going on in these uh, these uh, issues 12 and 13, basically building up to the building up to what's going
1: to be the final issue in issue 14. I enjoyed this story. I like the fact that they gave they didn't fall into the trap of just because it's this person's book. Therefore, it's all about that person. She she had a more personal battle to fight anyway. Right. About, you know, to not kill Pat and also save her mom and fight Shiv, which is her villain. The Dragon King fought Sir Justin, but neither fight is less important. Portrayed as like less important or minor. You know, I mean, that's just as important, keeping Stripe from being killed and keeping her mom from being killed. And that was the important thing for Courtney. So that was good. And that that was also better because, I mean, I think earlier on in the series, she would have been more jumping to do the big thing, which is stop the plot. And this is probably showing more of her maturing as a hero, where the important thing was not stopping the plot. Somebody else was dealing with that. The important thing is making sure the people I love are safe. So it's her Uh, maturing a bit and going away from being the bratty character that she was on.
0: Dragon King himself as a villain... I mean, I understand he's the guy pulling the strings and they finally got to the big bad. Now they're going to have the showdown. I wanted more. When they have that one fight, that's like where the Dragon King has the opportunity to shine. And I was like, man, I want more of yes, this 13.
1: Uh, probably again, I mean, I I could be wrong, but probably more of a suffering of the uh, cancellation. Cancellation. Pushing yeah. it forward. Although one funny thing I just realized, going back to the beginning the episode with your description of the, of the Dragon King looking like yeah. Cobra Commander more or less, <laughs> he now is Cobra Commander from the G.I. Joe movie. After going to Cobra. (laughs) <laughs> you got a good point there. He does because become that's what he looks uh, like. He's snake-looking. Yeah. It was done a little quicker than I, I than I would have liked to. It was done a little fast. But uh-huh. I mean, they at least were able to use this to tie up all of the the main plot thread of the series. Because I mean, weird stuff happening, villains in the school, people disappearing. That was something from the first volume. So they're wrapping up all that big stuff, all the big mystery. They're you know they're fought, they're closing off because well they have to. So at least they did do that. They didn't just leave it hanging.
0: What do you think of Shiv? I mean, she's he, she's definitely. Uh, It seems like she's going to be a formidable foe. Uh, Do you remember her showing up at all, like later on down the line? Do you remember seeing any other issues? I'm pretty sure
1: she does show up in JSA because I know Johnny Sorrow does have a team to fight the JSA. So I believe this is her being recruited for that team. Because he finds, you know, different villains of different specific villains for the JSA members, and since Courtney is on that team, yep. Recruit her. Makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, any other thoughts on Sir Justin? I always liked I always liked him. I always liked him in the uh, All Star Squadron series. I kind of meant to read some of his original stories because apparently Frank Vizzetta was one of the artists on the original Ooh. Sir Justin artwork uh stories Seriously. in the 40s. Seriously. Now I don't know how much it's gonna look like the Frank Visetta you're thinking of. Right. Yeah, we gotta make this a comic. Um, know, and it's it's also you know early in his career mm-hmm. but still definitely interesting to at least read whichever ones he did I don't know how much of it he did but I know he did some of it
0: yeah he would but, it, and that seems like a good character for him to be actually at the helm of yeah <laughs> you know for
1: sure and I did like some of the stuff with uh, I mean the mom accepted it a little quickly maybe but again end of the series I did like the mom's reaction to the Flash showing up I mean yeah. especially in this this retcon DC world since Crescent Infinite Earth where he had been the Flash since the 40s this is a icon hero for the, universe, you know, like this is somebody who like she would have known about since she was a child. And now it's like the flash is staying in my kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, this is she, the flash. Holy crap.
0: She loses uh, all touch with reality there. She's a little starstruck for sure. There was a lot of setup in this issue for future storylines. But I, I and I say that, but really your comment about how most likely John's knew this was coming to an end.
1: It's one issue later. They had to have known at this point. So it's right. like, all right, let's close this up and do what we have to do for our final issue so at least we can have an ending. Right. But I mean, dude, she's pregnant. She's The dad just showed up at the doorstep and she just found out. I'm fairly certain we've at least at the brief time, like since obviously a team book, it's hard to show everyone's personal life, Mm -hmm. but in the JSA book, I'm fairly certain we've seen Courtney have a baby sister. I want to say. Okay. I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't think Mike does anything past these issues, unfortunately. But again, if you if you haven't watched the Stargirl season yet, especially if you watch season one, you're going to be like, oh, I know what that is. Okay, I know where they took that from, because so much of the stuff in these issues is goes right into that series.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, dude, this is. Uh, a TV, television series written all over it with this drama that's happening there right just at the end of this issue
1: yeah including I mean, that it, yes that happens and everything that happens in the next issue that also happens more you know in in an episode two issue
0: 14 titled heirlooms written by jeff johns penciled by lee motor dan davis on inks tim mccrawl on the colors so yeah. I mean, my goodness, if that wasn't a cliffhanger at the end of 13, when uh, Courtney's dad shows up, who granted, I, I'm just coming into the second volume, but I there wasn't much mention of Courtney's dad. So I kind of assumed he was obviously out of the picture in some way. I know we get little like teasers. You don't know who it is, but some guy is standing in a train. He's going to Blue Valley and, and mm-hmm. he opens up like a locket or something or maybe it's his wallet. I can't remember. But there's a picture of of Courtney. Uh, her mom, I think, and I'm like, okay, well, who is this guy? So there's teasers to kind of lead you up to it, but I kind of figure, well, this guy's kind of been out of the picture. This is a blend- blended? I don't know if that's the right word, but I mean, this is a family that's, that's coming th- together now.
1: I think that's kind of the term, blended family, because they, it's not a you know, family in the fact that you know two people got together and had children in some way. Right,
0: yeah. right. So, okay, well, this issue opens up with Courtney and Pat fighting the British Bat with the JSA. Meanwhile, Barbara is waiting at home with Courtney's father, Sam. Sam says he wants wants to talk to Courtney, but Barbara doesn't like it because she believes that Sam's a con artist. When Courtney comes home, she is happy to see her father, although she doesn't know much about him. Sam tells Courtney a story about how he needed her necklace. Uh, He needs her necklace so that he can get some money for his brother. She agrees, and Sam says when he gets back, he cannot wait to hear more about her. Courtney is at first excited, but then realizes she may have been played. Upset, she goes inside where her mom tells her that Sam never had a brother. I think the next day, maybe it's either the day or maybe it's that same day. I can't remember. Mike is trying to fix the broken cosmic converter belt and still wants to become the star spangled kid. But after talking with his dad, Pat tells Mike that he wants him to carry on the legacy of stripe someday. And Mike excitedly agrees. Pat unveils Courtney's birthday gift, a restored 58 Lincoln convertible. As Pat and Courtney drive off, Mike hops a- into stripe and flies ahead as the issue ends. Uh, yeah. So and Mike, <laughs> Mike, don't... I said someday, not today. <laughs> (laughs) Yeah, Mike. Put on the brakes there, Mike. We get our final issue here. What are your thoughts, man?
1: That was a nice way to wrap up the series, going with what, you know, one of the main tensions, which is the family thing. Yep. You know, the whole family story about her and her father and her father being a son of a bitch. Right. I mean, it's one thing to be a con artist, another thing to go con your daughter. Right, man. I mean, that's
0: low. That is my, that's my second note on this was like, I really felt bad for Courtney you know, she's so excited to see her dad and her dad's like, yeah, man, I want to hear everything about you. And it's like, but first that necklace you got there, I really need it. And I'm just like, okay, now this guy's going to come back. Right. I think what really hit me, and and this is probably one of the panels out of this book that stuck with me was how excited she was. And then like the next panel, she just realizes that she has been taken advantage of, and she looks so broken-hearted. So props to Lee Motor for actually emoting that. Obviously, that's what you want to get across, but it made me feel so sorry for Courtney
1: and and the fact that her dad's this jerk. We have, especially if you read the whole series, starting with her being such a doing this just to be a brat to Pat and calling him, accidentally calling him dad by the end. Right. Because he basically yeah. is more of a dad to her in the 15, 14 issues, than that guy was her whole life. Right, yeah. And like I said, they're yeah. setting up stuff I mean, we're setting up Mike would potentially take over Stripe if I, maybe if the series had gone on. Yeah. And
0: have you ever gone on the TVTropes.org?
1: A couple times, yeah.
0: Okay. So they actually have a, a section on there for this book. One of the tropes that they had listed was a boarded arc. <laughs> and they did mm-hmm. touch on a few things and I'll just kind of read down through these. So it's implied Mary Kramer, so Mary, one of uh, Courtney's friends, was being set up to become the new gimmick girl which I don't know if you've ever oh, heard that name. I know. Mary I Girl
1: of a Thousand Gimmicks. She was, I believe she was Scott Star Spangled Kid's sister.
0: Okay. All right. Uh
1: so they say that
0: she was uh, because there are similarities between her name, the original Mary Kramer versus Mary Creamer, and her tendency to tinker with gadgets. Then uh Mike Dugan was clearly unhappy with losing the Star Spangled Kid name to his stepsister, but claimed he needed the title and gear for some promise involving a girl he referred to as JR, whom he apparently planned to break out of jail. So that's I think what you were alluding to, right? Mm-hmm. The other aborted thing that they have listed here, Pat, Pat tells Mike that he planned for his son to follow in his legacy. <laughs> a, a couple of epilogue pages which we kind of already talked about that really never got picked up with exactly uh, or at least yeah. not here yeah not here I, I'd want to say the stuff with Sam felt rushed but I know that this is it so we got to tell a story where Sam
1: and they had just, set him up previously they couldn't just you know I guess they had they felt like they wanted they and to get to the Courtney Pat you know relationship to fully evolve that from the beginning of the series they kind of needed him to be the jerk yeah. that you know to do his thing so they had to finish that had to have that in there. Yeah. yeah it might've had an extra issue with, you know, if it had been able to go on. Right. Right.
0: But you, you know, you make a good point with the whole relationship between Pat and Courtney, you know, it's, and I, I will tell you my per in my personal life, you know, my mom divorced my dad uh, when I was two. So my mom remarried like two or three times when I was like nine years old, she married my step, my stepdad, Bob, she stayed with him for 14 years. It's tough having a step parent. That relationship can be very stressful. <laughs> you know, until I grew older, into becoming a father, I didn't realize... What it probably took to be a stepdad.
1: Yeah, um, this, I can imagine there's more to it. I mean, if I didn't have that. I my parent, you know, my parents didn't divorce, so I didn't have that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I still had that moment, especially in my early 20s. where I, you look back, you go, "Holy crap, I was such a shit." I <laughs> no, man.
0: I mean, there were definitely times, a few instances right off the top of my head that I can remember where I was just like, "What was I thinking? Why?" W-? You don't think of anything but yourself when you're that young. That's why I think Courtney is very uh, identifiable or, you know, you can actually identify with what she's doing there. Even as a parent or possibly a step parent, you start to see that this kid is you know, upset with what's going on, her, her situation, her whole family situation. So her acting out like she did initially and then finally getting to this resolution that we have in issue 14 where she mm-hmm. – it, it, it's kind of set up before that because I think at one point they, they decide that they're going to be – They work as partners. Obviously, they have to. Pat wants to watch out for his wife's kid. (laughs) So whether she likes it or not, Stripe's going to be there. Um, Yes. But – that dynamic is it's great that they
1: had that resolution here at the end so and they even yeah. get a bit with Mike and her I mean not e- exactly but I mean he's if you notice if you go back to a few pages from the you know before she gets the car he's the one that notices the monitor about her being upset it's him it's true being concerned about that that makes Pat notice because Pat's busy paying you know fixing with stripe it's Mike that notices that she's upset he could have distracted his father from it but he doesn't right. so I mean it, it does imply a little bit of a warming between the two of them especially since he has he thought at first everything was gone because of uh, her being the star-spangled kid and his father basically saying no she's going to be star-spangled kid right. but now that he had the at the time potential to be stri- you know deal with a stripe he was like oh you know he was like okay well this still works yeah yeah. both for what he needed to do and also for the fact of not being replaced in his father's life right I mean it's, yeah. like, it's like I'm his son why am I not involved in this why are you who are you why the hell are you doing this exactly I mean, as, it's the same as, thing what you said about kids they think about themselves As. crazy
0: crappy as Mike acts, there's still that sliver of like, well, I can kind of understand why he's upset. <laughs> I can understand why he, he wants to carry on his dad's legacy. And I will tell you that that is, you know, a lot of people out there feel that that is something that they need to do. They need to make their dad proud. And the only way that they can do it is follow in their footsteps and do exactly what their dad did. Uh, so he's yeah, going plus, about it the wrong way. He's handling it uh, uh, the wrong way, but you know, he's got a good motivation, I guess I would say, go ahead.
1: Yeah. yeah plus, I mean, come on, his dad has a cool legacy his dad's a superhero and right not just a, a superhero he's a superhero associated with the justice society of america i mean exactly it's like one of the exactly. oldest teams in the world and it's also like this big family thing i mean the, just the justice Society, especially you know going in this time period and going forward it's very much about how the, the legacy and the family of it and all that so i mean why would he not want to be part of that Right. I mean, to have the Flash, you know, be a free, you know the friend where the Flash is like, hey, how you doing? You know, the Flash shows up and he's like, hey, what's up?
0: Yeah. I mean, come and on,
1: can, who would not want that if you lived in this world?
0: Exactly. And and so you can kind of understand why Mike gets a little upset when his dad says, no, you're not going to do this. You know, they could have handled that completely differently. They could have just kind of like what you said, made him a villain uh, after his dad said, no, you're not going to do it. But by the end of issue fourteen, when his dad says, no, I, you know, I've got another idea for you. He's
1: yeah, he, you're taking he, at least for
0: seems, me. Exactly. He's seeing Seems like Mike's absolutely content with that he he's very excited to do that yeah. so as superhero Laden as this was there's a lot of good family drama a lot of good teenage drama in here to, uh, that came through the pages. And I can understand why people really gravitated toward this series. I guess I would say after it got canceled. And from what I saw, I mean, I only saw one thing. Supposedly it wasn't a blockbuster seller. So that's why well, it I'm got canceled. not.
1: Yeah. But I mean, she became a very popular character in the Justice Society series. Right. So, and it's still Jeff Johns writing her. So,
0: yeah. So, because it, it, as they it,
1: mentioned in the last episode, she is based on his sister.
0: Tragic circumstances for the reason behind the character, but what a way to honor his sister with a great, you know, a a superhero uh, nonetheless.
1: And it worked out well because not only did she get her own series, but, you know, instead of being canceled and just kind of fading into obscurity, she was part of the team that lasted. I mean, that book lasted to like for years. Right. Part of that became pretty popular and was even though she doesn't really have as much appearances now popular enough that there is a TV show now. Right. Right. And it's funny because, I, you know, what was it about a year or so ago? I was like,
0: OK, guys, this is, you know, I've got to suggest I need suggestions on what to watch next. And overwhelmingly, because I threw some options out there and one was Stargirl. Overwhelmingly, the response was to watch Stargirl. And have I watched it? No. Is it on the agenda? Yes. Um, <laughs> There's so much stuff.
1: There is. There I really a really new season of Doom Patrol and I love Doom Patrol. I just haven't had time.
0: There's a few shows that I sit down and watch with the family. Stargirl seems like it would be one of them. I, that I think would, it would work. I would, hey, I understand what all the hype's about. This was a good series, in my opinion. I enjoyed myself. I know you said you had a comment about the
1: art. What did you want to say? So it's something I noticed, and also something they talked about last time. Pop. They weren't too thrilled with the art. Now, the art does improve throughout the series. It's it's best in this last issue than it was earlier on. But I remember being a lot more liking Lee Motors' art, and I'm reading this, I'm looking at the series going, this. there were some parts that were decent, but some were pretty bad bad kind of looking like where Courtney almost looks like hideous. They're better. They're better than they were in the first half, I believe. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. Also, I'm wondering if some of their, their issues with the art, either Lee Motor's style changed or it might have been the inker. And I'm not saying it's a bad inker, but sometimes just even if they're a good penciler and a good inker, they don't mesh because Lee Motor had been the penciler on Legion of Superheroes up until like a year or so before. And it's a different anchor. And I just sent. I'm just sent you. I, I got three pages from like one of his last issues, about a year before this series started. I'm sending a few in the chat right now. And okay. like, you can still see it's him, but look how much different it looks. Right. And personally, I like that a lot better. I think that and some of the art looked a little sketchier, like not sketchy here, but like sometimes like the faces look kind of didn't change from panel to panel like they didn't look as good. Uh, yeah, they're not and as it, sharp and they look better. And I th- I think personally, they look better in these pages I'm sending you now, but it's a different yeah. anchor. And I'm wondering if maybe it was just that mesh of pencil and anchor mm-hmm. isn't the best mesh.
0: Who are we... What's the anchor here
1: for... Ron Boyd. Ron Boyd. What are these pages from again? Legion of Superheroes from, like, late 97. I was going to say... About about a year before this... Issue came out. Okay, all right. Well. So, like, you can still see it's the same artist, but you can see it, it looks different. Definitely.
0: Well, I think we've learned a lot here. I, I want I again, uh, anything else that uh, I want to leave? You know, the floor open. Anything else you'd like to say in your closing thoughts here, man? On on the volume, second volume of Stars and Stripe.
1: Uh not much. I mean, if you like the show, it's worth at least checking out because you can see where they took the inspiration for the show. You know, and hey, if you are if you're a comic fan who hasn't read the watch the show yet because you're tired of all these things where they change stuff too much Oh, i promise you this if you read this series and then you watch especially season one you're like no okay yeah they kept it in (laughs) they did they kept all that stuff in them. all so much of the stuff in the series is season one of star girl so it's kind of cool that they were to do make it be that close you know, it's very awesome. faithful. And again, I, I had fun re- reading this because I do like those character type of characters. So I did have fun with the fact that this is the volume that gets more into the history of it. Right. So, you know, we have the Seven Soldiers and stuff. And I kind of wish they kept going because maybe the Seven Soldiers would have had a much higher profile. Right. Exactly.
0: You know, we get that one little adventure that they talk about, but it just seemed, obviously, it was the last adventure that they had. It's just a little, you know, a little taste and leave you wanting more. Yeah, I had a good time too, man. Good story. Good story. So I'm glad you came on here to talk about it with me. Why don't you go ahead and let uh, everybody know where people can find you? Sure. Hey, it's plug time, and you all know what that means. This would be a good time to plug the sponsor of the W2M network, and that is Grammarly. For you, the listeners of source material, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com w2mnetwork. Again, that's getgrammarly.com w, the number 2, mnetwork,
1: to download
0: Grammarly for free.
1: You can find me on my show, Resurrections, and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast, which is all about, well, the Marvel characters Adam Warlock and Thanos, just like it says in the title. Uh you just type in Adam Warlock or Thanos, whatever podcatcher you use, or you can follow me on Twitter at Adam Thanos Pod. Well, we just did our Halloween crossover. Oh, that's right. And Mephisto back. Yes, Mephisto's back. Mephisto's back making us read this made us read My Little Pony Transformers miniseries. That's so, fantastic. That was my introduction to My Little Pony, because beyond knowing it existed (laughs) so that was interesting really
0: did you have uh did you have some people on there who knew a good bit about my little pony
1: yes i the i guest starred on uh episode of married with comics they did issue one of that miniseries as part of the crossover and they definitely know about it and then i had uh tim price who his daughters watched the show for several years he was guest starred on my episode so he knew a bit about it too he probably yeah
0: osmosis absorbed some of that stuff just by walking in the
1: living room i've been there trust me
0: when the kids got it on TV.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then we have another uh, have an episode coming out this su- this Sunday the 14th if I can get it edited in time where we're uh, we're kind of continue something we've started last year where we're kind of doing a alternate Halloween issue where we're talking about the Marvel 70s character the Scarecrow. Ooh. Ooh. yes yeah we're talking about the scarecrow not the batman one and I... not the marvel character scarecrow who used to fight gross rider this oh. is a different scarecrow okay we right. Was supposed to have his own series in the 70s but instead only had three appearances so <laughs> oh, wow we did the first one last year this is the second one then we'll do the third one next year
0: very cool very cool well I, yeah i can tell you that uh you know obviously i've been i've been keeping up with you there i listened to your coverage on the entity of death uh and it, it was like through the timely comics is is that right? Yes. Or am I, am, yep.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly through the gold. Yeah. Mostly through the golden age, and then a little bit in the in the silver age.
0: Some crazy stories uh, I remember hearing you guys talk about, and then some of them that just seem like you know, there's <laughs> yeah. a story
1: about death. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. One of them, the one I did with Ryan Daly, is definitely probably not the same death in Marvel, but the uh, other ones kind of do feel to me like it's still the same character.
0: Yeah. Well, very good. uh Well, Al, I can't thank you enough for coming on here, man. I, I had a good time. Good Go give the Radlich and Broadcasting Network Facebook page a like. Most likely you'll be able to stay up on top of all the great podcasts that are dropping, my goodness, every day. Mark Radlich has gone through the archive and he, if there isn't a show we're doing now, there was a show we were doing then that pertains to something now. And he puts it out there so everybody can enjoy it feel free to check that out. You can check myself out with Chris Armstrong on the Unspoken Issues podcast if you like 90s comics. We finished up our discussion on Rise of the Midnight Suns, which was fun. We we made it into nice, tiny, fun-sized episodes where you can get uh, us talking about an issue for about, I mean, some of, those, some of those episodes were right around 13, 14 minutes. So I'm talking about highly digestible stuff. You could just listen to probably all of it in one day, if you wanted to or you can space it out. We did uh, six the total episodes so feel free to give that a listen and of course uh, I think we have an upcoming recording that should be airing at some point of Chris and I discussing Neil Gaiman's issue of Spawn that he did back in the day. Check out the Unspoken Issues Facebook page. The fun part about that is you can chime in and uh, we do polls every once in a while so you get to determine the content that we cover on our own podcast. But other than that you know I'm on the Metal Hammer of Doom just about every Wednesday uh, where Mark Radlich, Robert Cooper, and myself talk about some of the latest metal albums, and then sometimes we're not talking metal, even though it's the Metal Hammer of Doom we may end up talking about. I don't know. Uh, Let's see. I think we talked the Rocky IV soundtrack at one point, and that's going to be re-airing at some point in the future.
1: Didn't he do Taylor Swift at one episode? He did.
0: He did, <laughs> and it was Metal Hammer of Doom.
1: It was, okay. I can remember. I
0: was not on that episode. I, re- I can't remember who he had on there. It's, you know, the random grab bag every once in a while it's usually going to be metal but uh, yeah usually but all right well i guess we'll go ahead and get on out of here for al sedano my name is jesse starcher we'll be catching you next time have a good one Uh, Bye bye Thank you all for joining us. Make sure to give that Radulich in Broadcasting Facebook page a like to stay up on top of all the great podcasts we have to offer. We are at home on Spreaker, but you can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and recently, we have hit the air on Spotify. Find your favorite podcast platform and type in R-A-D-U-L-I-C-H to subscribe for some great content. If you enjoyed this show, please feel free to share and spread the word. And as always, we appreciate any feedback and look forward to entertaining you again soon.